0: Hi there, Golf Fanatics. Thank you so much for joining us once again for this episode of Golf Fanatics Podcast, where we try to share some education. We try to share a little bit of entertainment to help you, the everyday golfer, play that much better. And we've got a fabulous guest, a, a, a very new contributor to us here at Golf Fanatics. We're excited to have access to this great information that he has to share with us. Uh, Scott Fawcett really looking to the chat. We're looking forward to the chat we're going to be having. And this episode is sponsored by Vice Golf. Scott Fawcett. Uh, the thing I love about Scott is he's not only got <laughs> great information, but he has great opinions. He's very steadfast in his opinions and he sticks to them. And you know what the best part is, is he's got the numbers to back up most of what he's saying, but we're going to get into a little bit of that today. Uh, Scott is a recent addition to us here at Golf and Attics. And he had a tip last Friday. I loved it. I love the simplicity of the information. Scott, can you give us, firstly, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that the uh, the data that I have to bring it doesn't, that makes it more than just opinions, though. That's, uh, that's where I get myself well, in trouble quite yes, often. Yes,
0: exactly. Exactly. You know, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of our discussions can seem like opinions. And uh, I know for most people, they are just that. Uh, you have what seem like opinions backed up by data. Unfortunate for your uh, your foes when it comes to <laughs> and debating on social media. <laughs> so, uh, Scott, give us some background. T- tell us a, a little bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a former playing professional who's got a pretty in-depth background in, in mathematics and more than anything, a little bit of poker. I'm not necessarily that great at poker, but studying poker at a high level. It really allowed me to take my math background and apply it to golf, and in essence, solve course management. And, and honestly, I would say the psychology of golf, along with it, and you know, getting flurp with players like Bryson DeChambeau and Will Zalatoris when they were still amateurs, and really springboard their careers to what they've done. It's just um, more background on the efficacy of what it is that I teach and how it is that I teach it. It's it's a lot of stuff that has been taught for a long time, but bringing the data to support it all is really what allows players to buy in. But then to be perfectly honest, I was a total lunatic myself on the golf course when I was playing professionally. And so I know all the crazy stuff that goes through everyone's head. And I basically just try to speak as bluntly to that as physically possible, because I'm obviously a believer in direct language. There's no reason to tiptoeing around the crazy stuff in our heads. And I'd rather just address exactly what's going on so we can solve it and then move on.
0: You know, I say to a lot of my students, um, I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to make you play good, <laughs> and and let's just get to it. Let's cut to the chase um, and get some good information out there. So Scott, obviously, you know, we're recording this just at the start of Masters week, but everyone's going to be watching this on the Saturday of Masters, so they're going to have the advantage on us as to who's in contention, how things are going. Um, We're going to have to lay things on the line a little bit uh, with predictions. And one of the players I know you've done work, with. you've mentioned his name already, Bryson. I would love to chat with you about, you know, it seemed like the November Masters, the most recent one, uh, Bryson went in there with a very aggressive mindset. Everyone was uh, excited to see how he handled the golf course and things did not go well. Uh, You may or may not have insight to this, and you certainly don't have to share anything with us um, (laughs) uh, pertaining to that uh, if you don't want to. But what do you think Bryson is going to do differently this year to what he did in
1: November? Well, going back to November, actually, let's go all the way back to the PGA, to be perfectly honest. You know, I I worked with Bryson for a couple of years while he was, you know, his last year before he won the NCAAs in the U.S. Amateur. And then when he first turned professional, and you know Como and I are, are really good friends for the last twenty years, and so I work more with Como now with trying to get the information to Bryson in that manner. And back to the PGA at Harding Park, I told him I was like, you guy needs to be hitting driver on basically every single hole out here," and he hit way too many three woods. And I told Como after the term, I'm like, "Dude, I'm telling you, he's got to be hitting more drivers than that. That is his advantage." Yeah. Well, now we go to the US Open and he actually pulls it off, hits driver almost everywhere. To be perfectly honest, too often because two and eight, both dog leg to the right, and his preferred shot shape with driver is a draw. So he even hit driver on those. I was like, no, he needs to be hitting three wood on those to the corner rather than trying to cut driver. Well, now let's go forward to the Masters back in November. And, you know, the day before, like, I was the biggest proponent of the 48-inch driver attempt because he's literally almost unbeatable if he can get that thing in play. It's just, it's such, it'd be like me playing in a, in a you know, a boys 12 to 14 junior golf tournament. It's just not, it's not fair. And so hitting 200 drivers the day before the first round, you know, that's, okay, that, that didn't work out, buddy. Let's, let's go ahead and get the regular driver in play. And that's what I would say going into this master's. He, you know, as far as I know, has, has not been tinkering as much with the 48-inch. Obviously, the USGA is doing what I consider probably the right thing by limiting length to 46 inches. Um, what I'll tell you, I mean, I got a text from Como in, in typical Como fashion at 645 this morning saying, hey, are you around? I reply in three minutes, and I haven't heard back from him since that is <laughs> exact Como, if anybody, if you know him at all. So who knows what they're out there thinking right now, um, but... I, you know, again, I I hate saying, you know, I I do believe there are, you know, horses for courses. I do believe there are certain players that just play certain courses well. And there's no doubt whatsoever that Augusta National favors a right to left ball flight. You've got number Mm. two off the tee. You've got five off the tee. You've got nine off the tee, 10, 13. I mean, there's just so many holes. But then also the second shots you know, shot patterns for a right-handed player, I don't care if you're playing a draw or a fade, your shot pattern tends to be long left and short right, yes. just because of the way shot patterns work. And so you have holes like 12 and 16, that, or excuse me, 12 and 13 that just work, they just flat out work better for, for draws, even 16, just, just for right, right to left, I should say. Yeah. And so you've got, uh, you know, players like Mickelson, Bubba, you know, uh, Mike Weir, Bob (laughs) Charles, like it's such a disproportionate amount of players that have won left-handed players that have won the Masters. It's unreal. So then you throw in Bryson bombing it as a right-handed player playing a draw, which is unusual. I'm I'm very, very firm, as you may have noticed on Twitter, that you should only shape the driver one direction. And then, (laughs) but the flip side of that is most guys with speed do play a fade. That is just something that, Again, this is where I get myself in arguments with guys like Michael Finney all the time because I am a player with speed. And I will say it's just easier to hold on a little bit and hammer a cut than it is to let it go a little bit. And I Mm. have no idea biomechanically or if there's any reason why that is whatsoever. But most players who hit it hard hit a fade. Bryson, on the other hand, has a super weak left-hand grip. I mean, it's literally almost under the club. And yet that position allows him to swing as hard as he can and release it as hard as he can and hit a draw and know it's not going left. It's a really bizarre combination that Mm. I do believe that those jumbo max grips play into. So now you've got by far and anyone who tells you that Bryson is only three yards longer than the PGA tour average simply has no idea what they're talking about. He is leading the club head speed by five miles an hour, which is over 10 yards. He, you know, average club head speed, I should say, he's beyond the tour average by 17, 18, 20 yards. I mean, it's insane yeah. how far he's hitting the golf ball and drawing it and keeping it in play. You know, Lou Stagner, my guy, I'm, I know I'm, I told you, just team me up with a question and I'll go. But Lou Stagner, my, my main data nerd, he really a great thing at the US Open. People talk about he didn't hit that many fairways, but you don't really look at how many fairways in absolute numbers a player hits. You look at it in relation to the field average and that tells you how he drives it, obviously relative to the field average. And Bryson hit more fairways than the field average while hitting it 60 yards past everyone. Yeah. That's a pretty good combination. I don't care if that means he only hit, I think it's 23 or six fairways. It's not many, but if the whole field only hits 21, yeah, I'd rather be as far out there as physically possible in the rough. And that's really Bomb and gouge is a misnomer because it makes it sound like these guys don't know where it's going and though it's a modern idea, Mm. the greatest players, the all-time greats have always been the longest. Yes. There's guys like Tom Kite and Corey Pavin that are great players, but they don't enter the conversation of all-time great players. They certainly don't enter the conversation of all-time great drivers. The all-time great drivers of the golf ball are by far all the longest players. That just happened to also hit it far. That's what you want to look into leading into the Masters, though. And I guarantee you, whoever's on the leaderboard right now is going to be the DJ, the Bryce, and the longest players, or even a guy like like Jordan. I, you know, I've, I've I love Jordan Spieth, and I think that he's doing some amazing stuff. But watching, and I did not see it, but somebody tagged me in a post with Jordan last week and saying, "I bet you're loving watching him hit it one direction." That's what the Harmons are great at is teaching players to drive the ball really well. And that always comes back to shaping it one direction. So you've got guys, you know again, DJ Brooks, Bryson, all those guys are going to be right there at the top.
0: Yeah. So, so if you're watching the everyday golfer and you're watching this and you're listening and you're going, what can I take from this? Number one, the first thing I would love for you to tuck away, this is a golden nugget is with the driver, whether you're a fader or a drawer, Stick to one shape. Honestly, and and this might sound a little bit off color, but you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Scott's not good enough to try to shape it two ways off the tee. Very few tour players try to do it. You shouldn't try to do it. Stick to your shape. You can go and work on changing it if you don't like your shape on the range. But when you're playing golf, one shape, go with it. You'll be amazed.
1: Well, it's just so hard for people to trust. Like I literally post that video on Twitter today of DJ saying, I didn't try to hit a fade all last year. Here's the number one player in the world. And I, and I, the, my tweet was, and yet I'm still going to have to argue with many tour players and college golfers and even club level players. And one of the first comments I get on it is, yeah, but I like playing a draw, but then I get on super tight holes and I just try to play fade to, to, to guide it a little bit more. Is that okay? And I'm like, it's unbelievable. I, I literally just posted DJ saying he didn't hit a single again, draw or fade. I don't care which one it is. Just pick one and do it over and over again. And if that shape doesn't match a hole. then hit a different club. That's really that, what it comes down to. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I like that. I, I think that's so good. I, I preach, obviously, you know, I love your information, Scott, and I share a, a lot of your tenants, your, your, ideologies with my students in in an attempt to try to get everyone ultimately golf's hard and your information <laughs> in my opinion serves to make it a little bit easier it's just so difficult i find especially with um, the everyday golfer, men males out there um, because we have this tv bias and we see these guys hitting different shots and they might be hitting the same shot, but we see Rory hitting a draw, and we see Jordan hitting a fade, and DJ, and we go, oh, these guys are shaping it any way they can, any way they want, uh, but we need to just play our game, hit our one shot, and uh, let's make the game easier by doing that.
1: Well, and almost as much as that is, and, and again, this Cla- it was Claude and DJ on a range, and, and Claude asked him, how, how often did you, did you try to hit a draw last year? And he goes, intentionally, on purpose, none. That's the thing where Finney, he does it to me all the time. He'll post a picture of DJ drawing it. I'm like, that wasn't on purpose. And it's just so interesting how hard it is to get that mindset and really understand that again, especially with the driver, it's the longest club with the flattest face being swung the fastest in the entire bag. And you're trying to alter that face to path relationship, you know, six to eight or nine degrees It's just, it's a a fool's errand. It is the definition of a fool's errand because it's basically impossible to do. With a three wood, as a fader, you can just stuff a three wood back in your stance and that automatically will kick the path out to the right. And so you can put what feels like the same swing on it and yet the path will change materially. Well, you can't just put a driver in the middle of your stance and get it airborne. It's just not how it works, obviously. And so with that club specifically, but it's, it's hard because you'll get guys like Tiger saying I hit the nine box drill and I do it all over the place. And it's like, yeah, well, you're not very good at driving it. I mean, he hits more double crosses than anyone on the entire PGA tour in 2019. And I'm the biggest tiger fan on earth. When he won the masters in 2019, he double crossed it so many times. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you can tell that by looking at on certain holes, how did he play it the other days? And then what did his swing look like when he wound up in the left or right trees? And mm-hmm. you can basically tell he double-crossed. It was about a third of his shots. Wow. And wow. he got away with it by Saturday on 13, snap hooking it left of the trees and being, you know, hitting a tree and coming back out and him laying up to 60 yards and hitting it to eight feet and making birdie. 14, he makes birdie from the left trees on both Thursday and Friday. The average score mm-hmm. in the PGA Tour from the trees is 3.8 strokes, not including the tee shot. So they average eight-tenths of a stroke over par from the trees. And Mm -hmm. Tiger, like making par twice is like, man, you just gained a shot and a half. Tiger made birdie twice. And you just look at things like that. And, and again, that's why when you go to 18 on on Sunday, he has a one-shot lead, and he goes back to three wood, and he can't even get it around the corner. Because he's afraid of hitting the driver, you know, 10 yards off the tee box. And, and so here he hits three when he can't get around the corner. Like that's even him, how bad he is at shaping it both ways. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about this topic, Scott. I think this is a good one for everybody to, to have their eyes and ears open to. And it's something we've spoken about before, and it's called the Tiger Five. And uh, I'd like to get two angles from you on it, if I may. Firstly, you know, what is it and um, how does this apply to championship golf players that are working towards playing for a living? And then what can the everyday regular golfer take from it? And how can they try to apply some of that thinking, that mentality into their game?
1: So the Tiger five is I had heard from a number of players and caddies before that Tiger tracked these five things um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And something that I really, until I heard it from enough players, I didn't want to actually, you know, tout it from the top of the mountain because last thing I'd want to do is Tiger be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But finally (laughs) I'd heard it from enough players and and I believed it. So the Tiger five is, it's how many times during a round did he make bogeys on a par five, double bogeys, three putts bogeys with a nine iron or less and what he considered blown easy saves. Now, obviously a blown easy save is subjective to his opinion. So we had to translate that to two chits per round when we're creating for the decade portal to track the stats. And obviously I don't know when he hit a nine iron. So we just called that 150 yards or less. Yeah. Again, back to, to Lou Stagner, my, my, my main data nerd. He then went through and he tracked just the four things. We didn't even do the two chips because PGA Tour players don't two chip very often. But Tiger knew that if he could keep the four things, bogeys on par fives, doubles, three putts, and bogeys from inside 150 to six or less per tournament, he would win. And that's still obviously one and a half of those things per round. And those are the pretty pedantic mistakes. And Lou then went and ran the data for when Tiger for, for the PGA Tour. And rather than look at first place only because you do have anomaly wins by seven shots and by whatever we took the players that finished first to fifth place, they averaged 0.13 bogeys per round on the par fives, 0.14 doubles per round, 0.36 three putts per round. Yeah. And 0.98 bogeys. They averaged one bogey from 150 and less per round. The players finishing first to fifth place make a bogey per round from 150 or less, which, again, huh. these are guys playing pretty good. And they're also guys, you know, the, the distance debate, we're not even going to get into that, but they don't have 150 less per round on 18 holes. They've got it on, you know, 8 to 10 or 12 times per round. And they're making bogey once per round from those 8 or 10-ish times. Hmm. But when you sum those, those four... Those are the
0: top camp- five finishers.
1: Yeah, when you sum those four categories, total points per round is 1.61, which is obviously then 6.4 per tournament. Tiger somehow basically figured out exactly that if he could average six or less of those per tournament, he'd win, and he essentially, just from his intuition, golf IQ, blessing from God, whatever you want to call it, Tiger figured it out. But the key to this, especially for the at-home player, is none of those things are go hit more greens, go hit it further, go make more birdies, Mm. nothing. Make more putts. Don't do the stupid things. And I say it to be as blunt as physically possible. If you finish a round of golf and you think I should have shot lower than I did, hey, we all do that every single round, just to be clear. But there's only one of two things possible. You're either not as good as you think you are, or you made stupid mental mistakes. That's it. There, there can't be anything else. And obviously nobody wants to admit they're not as good as they think they are. And I, I use that just as leverage to try to talk people into you need to prioritize time to think about your strategy and mindset. Again, we all finish every single professional player that I ever talked to. I'm like, what's your best turnaround ever? 62 or three. Did you play as good as you possibly could? But, oh, no. I mean, I wasted six shots. My best round ever as a, as a playing professional, I was 10 under through 12. And I shot 62, 10 under, and all I could talk about at the Outback Steakhouse with my buddies that night was the stupid stuff I did on the last six holes. And they're like, you just shot 10 under. And I still was complaining about mistakes. That's what we try, like with the decade process and decade mindset, is to clean up those things. Decade is just a six-step acronym. You can't make a mental error if you just trigger through these six things really quickly. And that ultimately is, again, the, the content that I hope to bring to, to golf fanatics. But it really, it's just, it's the dumb stuff that you do every single day. And rather than figuring it out after the fact, we're going to get you to realize it in real time. Hey, this is kind of what I mess up every week. Mm. <laughs> let's stop doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Scott, if you were to say, let's do this. If you were to give... The 10 to 20 handicapped golfer, three things to do. And this is a broad statement, I get it, okay? And it's not unique to, to any one person. It's the golf population in the world. If you were to say to them, I want you to do three things better, what would it be? It can be two, it can be four.
1: I mean, honestly, the, it, you, I, I appreciate you trying to, to walk it back with it. It's not, It has to be specific. This is the most general yet specific statement ever. It is speed putting and it is chipping out of the trees. That's it. If, if, a, if a 10 to 20 handicapper did those two things alone, rather than practicing ever, not a single time on the practice screen to a hole, run a speed drill, just some sort of a ladder speed drill. Obviously we have a couple in the decade app. We'll bring them at some point to the, to the fanatics content. Just a speed drill to run and then when you are in the trees, get it out in one. I guarantee you, and I'll, I'll just put a percentage on it because it's easier, 25%. Those two things would lower your handicap 25% overnight, Wow. period, without awesome. question. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll have a person who shoots 90, and I'll get two of them, and they'll sit through a seminar, and I'll say, okay, I want you two to be to be each other's caddy the next time you go out and play. You just tell the person that, And only... In the trees or in, in speed putting is just, hey, you're 25 feet here. 25 feet is the inflection point in college golf. We're talking plus two to four handicappers. 25 feet is the inflection point where they average over two strokes to hole out. And I do say this to be as direct as possible. That's awful. On the PGA Tour, it's 32 feet, which is shockingly bad, to also to be perfectly honest. But there's just no chance a college golfer can't get it down in two from 27 or eight feet every single time and but that comes back to prioritizing and recognizing that speed is by far the most important part of your of your your putting once you have a putt with any break whatsoever the speed you hit it actually controls your line more than the line you hit it on which is I'm I'm saying that half tongue-in-cheek but not I'm assuming you can start it on a decent start line, which is pretty much true relative to your handicap. You're not going to have a a scratch who has a six-inch wide variance, and you're not going to have a a 14 handicap who's got a three-foot wide. So as long as you can start it on a decent line, if that putt has any break, if you hit it too soft, it'll start breaking sooner. If you hit it too hard, it'll start breaking later. So even given identical start lines, the speed you you, you, you hit the putt with, it, it has more to do with the direction towards the hole, it, And it's, it's a really odd thing to wrap your head around. But it, and again, it's not just the 10 or 15 or 20 handicapper doc Redmond, the 2017 us amateur champion. You know, he's a guy that had the decade app in college. And we'd talked a little bit the week that he won the us amateur. I was out caddy for Will Zalatoris at Riviera, but he was struggling on some sponsors invites in 2018 before he had a PGA tour card. He asked me to come out and caddy for him. At Tigers event quick. And so I did. And I went and looked through his stats. And he was he was minus a a third or a quarter of a stroke gain putting leading into the week on his seven or eight sponsors' invites at the time. And I told him I would, as long as he would do everything I told him to do, no questions asked. He's like, I'm in. Well, I show up and we do this putting speed drill for the first few days. And obviously, in a practice round, we're just kind of rolling putts around. Then we go out and play the practice rounds. And he putted really good. And I didn't tell him until Thursday before our round. We get out there and I was like, okay, now I'm gonna tell you the 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 joke, the inside joke, what I meant when I said you have to do what I tell you to do. And he's like, okay, well, I'm like, you're not gonna hit a single putt at the hole in your in our warm-up. Your first putt's gonna be on number one. And he was like, to his credit, he's like, okay. And I was like, wow, I actually thought you'd push back on that. Now I, he has a little three foot line drill that I let him do just to get his body position. It's it's a block practice drill to get his eyes and his position oriented. But after that, we just ran the speed drill up and down this hill, and the guy went out and he was he was three quarters of a shot better in the in the quick end than he was against his his tour average so far for the year. Three quarters of a stroke is three shots for the tournament. Yeah, and he literally the first putt he hit at a hole was on number one each round, and to his credit, all I was trying to do was emphasize speed, 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 speed. Guy's a great putter. It's just so yeah. hard, especially when you're out there playing on your very limited spin sponsors invites to not try to make putts. And that's what college golfers, amateur golfers, they all are out there from 15 feet. You know, it sounds stupid to say, but they're trying to make it. Yeah. The make rate on the PGA Tour is only 23% from 15 feet. You don't, you don't need to try to make that. You just let, if you think of your, your putting, your, your shots dispersion like a beehive, the hole, almost regardless of what line you hit it on, the hole's going to get in the way of some portion of that beehive. Yeah, The smaller you can make your beehive is going to be coming from your speed control. And thus, the hole going to get in the way at a minimum as often. I personally think more often. But you're going you're gonna to just three putt less, even from something as stupid as 15 feet.
0: It's, it's so hard for golfers to do that stuff, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I view a lot of what you say, and don't take this the wrong way. I view a lot of what you say as low-hanging fruit. It's like easy stuff for people to do, but it's really hard for people to to do it.
1: I'm not sure. Yeah, why. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not offended. I expected you to say common sense because I actually agree it's common sense. Yeah, it's common sense once you see it. Two plus two is common sense. I mean, you just—it's yeah. the most easy thing to explain to a two-year-old. You say, "Hey, here's two apples." Here's two apples. Now you have four apples, but that's not common sense until you understand it and you see the logic and the reasoning why. That's what I do believe. Again, back to bringing data to back up what I teach and speak of. You know, I've just happened to be the right guy in the right place at the right time with Mark Brody's data coming back. You know, I, I went back and I played professionally from '96 through 02. I went back and played again for fun for a few years from 09 to 2012. I got my grammar status back again in 2013, which was right when I really started understanding that I had played better professional golf my second time around because I was applying poker math to the game. Yeah. And right then was an, uh, an excerpt from Mark Brody's book came out. Obviously we already had the strokes game putting statistics data out and I actually wrote a thread on an online poker forum in 2011 saying, is dry for show, put for dough really true? And I'm so glad that I actually wrote this thread because it's so easy for people to think that I just ripped off Mark Brody's work. I'm like, dude, I was thinking on this 10 years ago. Now, Mark's brilliant work is what gave us the data to then do it. But again, just being the right guy at the right place with it, I've got some free time, I finally have the data, I've got a math and a golf background, you know, it's the, it's the Reese's peanut butter and chocolate coming together. Like that's a brilliant thing. If, as long as you know how to do it. Yeah. And that's really what was, you know, again, like just having Will Zalatoris happening to be a junior golfer at my home course, um, 2014, you know, seven years ago. Now I caddied for him when he won the Texas Amateur and the U S junior, I used to have to explain who Will is now he's playing in the masters. It, it's, awesome. it's impossible to play in the masters unless you've won a tournament or you're at least a member of the PJ Tour. The guy's not even a member of the PJ Tour. And that's how good he is. The other guy that's in there in the exact same uh, same way in the top 50 world amateur rankings is another 24-year-old Robert McIntyre. He's another one of my students. And that's the fun thing is, as you see these guys out there, Colin Morikawa was set through my seminar in college, Maverick McNeely, all these kids that are under the age of 25, I've literally worked with essentially every single one of them. And that's the fun part for me, not just because I get to drop names and have people give me a hard time on Twitter because I get to say like, kids, don't beat your head into the wall the way that I did. Here mm-hmm. are the cheat codes to make it into, into language they understand. This is the cheat codes to, to Fortnite, mm-hmm. but we're playing golf. And thats it's been so rewarding because again, I, I really do believe that I was a much better player than my results ever, ever indicated. And now I know why I just couldn't figure it out at the time I, I was, a, I, I didn't play. I didn't, I wasn't a single sport athlete. I played everything all the way through high school. I was just totally inexperienced, even as a playing professional. And the game just takes a long time to learn how to play. Well, you, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're getting a tennis lesson, if you're getting a tennis lesson, you can, you know, you can just sit on the court and you're getting exact feedback. That was good. That was good. That was bad. But in golf, Even on a driving range, you can hit a drive that looks horrendous. But if you're using the correct strategy, it might actually be a totally functional golf shot. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing that the driving range is just such bad feedback. Um, But really trying to get people to understand shot patterns. That's, again, the very first video that I put into Fanatics is, hey, we're going to talk a lot about math here. It's not hard. It's basically two plus two. We're also going to talk a lot about shot patterns. I just want to explain what I mean by that because the, the light bulb for most people, I do not have to take it further than that. For most people, once we've talked about the basics of the math and the basics of the shot pattern, you can kind of figure it out from there. It's again, it's not rocket science.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, can the golfer commit? And I find when someone's got, when someone's got some skin in the game and they're playing professionally and they've got to find a way to go and beat Rory McIlroy Um, they're like, okay, give me what you got because I need as much help as I can get to beat him. But when people are trying to break 85, they're like, no, I got this. I got, you know, it it, it really, it is quite interesting. Scott, I do want to go here a little bit with you. We've had way too much agreement thus far in this discussion, okay? And so now we've, (laughs) we've got to go somewhere where I know we have opposing views, okay? Opposing views. And so I'm going to let you go first. I'm I'm happy to go first if you want, either one. Uh, But but seeing as though you're the guest, you're going to go first. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to explain why you are
1: against a rollback. Their distance is not a problem, period, for 99.9% of golfers. That's just a fact. The USGA distance report, they even say the same thing. If a golfer averages, and I'm making these numbers up because Lou knows these way more than me, but if a player averages 250 or 270, the length of golf course they should be playing is 6,300 yards. Again, I'm, don't hold me to that, but there's yeah, yeah. some number in there to where distance is just not a problem for 99% of the golfers. So the alternative to that is bifurcation. We have a tour ball. And the problem with that is, and this is – when I was at the Phoenix Open last year, we've got Kevin Chapel out there in, in mid, mid-knee socks – He's got a hood on. He's got a flat bill hat. You know, I'm 47. I would look like an idiot like that. But you know what? Kevin Chapel looked pretty damn cool doing it. And there were about a hundred kids on the driving range who saw themselves in Kevin Chapel, and they were like, you know, I can relate to this. If we were to roll bifurcate the ball, the, the what you've seen in the last few years with Morikawa, Bryson, Zalatoris, Maverick, Doc Redman, all those guys, it doesn't disappear. But when you turn professional after the NCAA championship, that's June 5th, usually, your first start on the PGA Tour is in four days at the Memorial, typically for the guys that are actually going to be getting and earning the sponsors' invites. You have no choice but to take it. And this is where people, they, they get it wrong when they're like, you're, you're saying that uh, you know, a player like Zala Torres, who's one of the best ball strikers, I've been saying this for a long time, best ball strikers on the planet. He couldn't play like, no, he could not play to the level that he does with a different spinning and or distance ball. People take that too far thinking that I'm like, assuming he'd shoot 80, like, no, he would have a 70 scoring average instead of a 69 scoring average. But it would be just enough that while he was getting used to the ball, he would burn through at least half of his sponsor's invites. Next thing you know, he's at Q School because of the new wraparound season. There's just not enough time. So then the flip side is, okay, well, they should start playing the bifurcated, the pro ball before, well, nobody's good enough that they can give up 10% of distance and still be the number one player in the world. So now they're not even the ones that are getting the endorsement contracts that are getting the, the sponsors invites. There's just the, the, the more that we bifurcate, okay, well then okay, never mind. It should be when you play college golf. Okay, well, it's me, the, the a 47-year-old mid-am. Am I supposed to play the bifurcated ball in the US amateur and the US mid amateur or, and then my other ball, this is now I'm just punting money in my Friday wolf game. No matter where you bifurcate, you keep pushing the decision younger. And at this point, the only gains in distance period. The, and I know you got a ping hat on and the ping guys are touting their distance every single week. The only gains the in distance. I thing is all about accuracy. <laughs> they, t- they do tout accuracy. <laughs> t- <laughs> t- well, the, the only gains in distance in the last 25 years have come from an increase in club head speed. I have taken, and I did it on Instagram live because somebody was giving me a hard time. I'm like, fine, I'll do it live. A 25 year old Callaway that I bought on eBay, a 25 year old Strata that I bought on eBay, and I produced a 1.5 smash factor, 120 mile an hour club head speed, 180 mile an hour ball speed with those two clubs. Yes, a larger club head allows me to do it more consistently But the old equipment can do it just the same. And so anytime someone goes and gets a new club and they're like, I picked up 20 yards. No, no, your old club was fit terribly, period. And that's Mm. the thing that that I think most people miss. So bifurcation, rollback is, is just a bad idea for golf. We don't need to take, especially with our newfound golf boom from COVID. We don't need to just go make the game harder for them. And bifurcation would for sure, I guarantee you, age the tour a few years, which would then be harming our youngest demographic from being able to see those young hip guys out on the range and make them fall in love with the game because they are our USGA stewards in 25 years. Without the stalwarts, the game will die. That wasn't thirty seconds. Perfect, right on. I got a lot to shove onto Scott. your side of the table. That was,
0: a, that was Scott the thirty seconds, right there, ladies <laughs> <and> gentlemen. <laughs> That's actually a good point. <laughs> What's your point? Why, I mean, here's here's my take. Okay, I I must say I agree with the vast majority of what you say. Um, the only reason I I'm not in favor of uh, rolling the ball back for everybody, uh, in other words, I'm in. I, I would be in favor of testing uh, professional level bifurcation. I think, uh, yes, it would take some time in order for the players to adapt, but these players are amazing. And just like they adapt to a new driver, they're going to be able to, I believe, adapt to a new ball. Uh, And the primary reason why I would be in favor of it is purely, purely, primarily, purely uh, to bring some golf courses that have become to a certain degree obsolete, some golf holes, and obviously we're talking, a golf course is made up of holes. It's not all the holes, it's a percentage of the holes uh, that are now played in a very different fashion to the way uh, Mr. Ross, Mr. McKenzie, Mr. Colt intended. And so that
1: would be my reason, it's- I I don't disagree with that. And again, I, I, I actually, I'm not a golf course architect. I am the furthest thing from a historian in life or golf that you can possibly imagine. I'm definitely in the, eh, I don't care boat. But what I will say on that is the vast majority of those courses that people want to bring back are the old courses that were simply designed in a different era also. And again, they finally have stopped falling for the bait on Twitter, but I used to always ask an architect lover, okay, tell me a course you want. And and just to use Baltistral as an example, Baltistral is a great course that if it were a little bit shorter, it might be, you know, obsolete. Obviously it's not, but they have the 18th green of the upper course that they literally build the grandstands on top of the vast majority of the old courses simply are not big enough from an infrastructure standpoint, because you have to have a corporate village and it is a huge um, piece of land that is required for it. And so they'll always say, you know, X, Y, Z course. And number 18, usually they could build it over the, the grandstands, over a putting green or whatever. But if you go to 16 or 17, there will always be absolutely no room whatsoever because they are the golden age courses. Mm. There just isn't room. And so I bet you there's maybe five courses that could, be actually, could actually be brought back to life.
0: Yeah, I, I, but, I was thinking. I was thinking. There's there's twelve to fifteen courses worldwide, um, that are ah that one that one ain't gonna do it. You know that one ain't gonna do it. Um, and and there may be there may be more. There may be less. But it's it's not a lot. It's not a lot of golf courses.
1: But that's the problem. Is and again, if you can if you can at least see. And again, like you seem like a rational human, you can see my logic of why. Sure. Yeah. It, it would bifurcating would. It, I mean, again, it would just. What I will say is, the, and the one note that I took while you were talking is, the, 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 the standard default after I make a speech like that is, these guys are so good, they'll adapt. Look at them when they go to, to a place with altitude. They all adapt. I'm like, yes, the entire field is adapting. That's a huge difference than a 22-year-old turning professional and having to adapt to a new ball that the, entire, the other 153 guys in the field have been playing for years mm. that's a, it's a totally different thing and again if you just go watch Reno or any event every single year they're like oh my god I was so off on that one I was so off on this one but the whole everyone has that that shot or two a week that just totally implodes on them that is the real key that is is missed when it's just like they'll adapt it's that the entire field yeah. is adapting versus yeah. just a couple of players and most importantly on literally four to seven exemptions like it's not many players are even getting their full nine now between the NCAA championships and you know you get a couple guys like like Matthew Wolf that's coming out with a huge pedigree that get the full nine but aside from that Zal you get three or four starts and then if you haven't done anything in those you're kind of done and back to the go, drawing
0: board yeah back to the drawing
1: board and then you are talking A year. Maverick McNeely, an amazing player. Two years on the Corn Ferry tour. Will Zaltors, a couple years. Let's roll it all the way back to David Duvall. It took him three years to get off that thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's not a given. You do still have to play good golf out there. And I again I do think that the tour being younger is really important for the ultimate longevity of the game. That's my main argument. Again, especially to the the historian folklore crowd that loves it so much. I'm like, if you want the game to thrive, you better get used to hoodies and mid knee socks and flat bills, because if we don't have those, we don't have, we don't have a future. I mean, we really just don't have a future.
0: I, I, I'm with you, I like it. I, I, I like a lot of the, you know, I, l- I love the kids. I like the new stuff. Um, it's neat to see. Uh, we can't be, as a golf community, too set in our ways. Uh, tradition certainly has value um class has value uh and we can look cool and we can still be classy and still follow you know stay within the confines of tradition uh, i believe so here we go i need from you scott i need uh you're gonna pick a favorite predictions master's predictions uh you're gonna pick a favorite and someone who's not in the top 10 as your Underdog. Oh,
1: oh God. <laughs> well, I will say that I burned my I've been on Bryson obviously forever. Last week I predicted on our on our Hack It Out Golf podcast that uh that Jordan Smith was gonna win. And then he went and won that week on I me. Mean, I'm like, dang it, Jordan. I was hoping he would <laughs> wait a week, but at least I did predict he was gonna win soon. Um man, a favorite not in the top ten. I tell you, I'll go with Zalatoris. I mean, I, I oh. I, Will, if you're listening, I love you, buddy. I don't think you have a chance of winning. But <laughs> <laughs> if there's any way to win that golf tournament, it's by knowing how to play the game. If you think back to Tigers, basically his final round in 2019, it was a decade clinic. We never got a huge Tiger fist pump, you know, theatrics yeah. because he stuffed it a couple times on 17 and, or excuse me, on 7 and 16. And he hit it to the middle of the green on 13 and 15 and had two putt birdies. And aside from that, he just didn't do anything stupid. It it was the most textbook perfect decade round of golf possible. Mm -hmm. And if there's anyone on the planet that can do that for 72 straight holes, it's Will Zalatoris. That guy could easily ball strike his way to a championship. That said... Nobody's ever won it as a first-time entrant. I'm assuming nobody's ever won it who's at least not a member of the European Tour or PGA Tour. I doubt a corn fairy, guys, real. ever won it. Yeah. Okay, um, so
0: you going with with Will as your your underdog? Who's your favorite? Uh,
1: you know, I'm actually. I, I was I was doing it just for spite, saying Jordan last week, but I'm gonna go with Bryson. I mean, the guy's just hitting it so far; it's ridiculous, and he's drawing it, and there's just no getting around that. Obviously, Bub is a great left-handed player that's won it twice. It doesn't seem like he's been on his best form for the last uh, the last year or so. Yeah, I mean DJ again. He can play the dog legs by drawing a three wood. He will not cut the drive or draw the driver, but he can play that. But now he's going back to three wood, which for him, let's call it two ninety. He's giving up sixty yards to Bryson. You just Mm. you can't give up that much and. You just have to be perfect everywhere else. So I'm going to take Bryson and the landslide. Okay, so you
0: got Bryson and Zalatoris. Now, everyone's going to be watching this on Saturday. <laughs> Is that story
1: because I've got both of their autographs right here on my floor? Is that cool?
0: Tough? Yeah, you know, you, you're <laughs> keeping it close. All in the family there, I see. Um, I'm, and right. I'm going to go, uh, and I, I pick these players. My son can vouch for this because we have every major championship. We have the same bet. Uh, pick a favorite. Pick an underdog. And I picked uh, these two players the other day prior to Jordan winning. I actually wanted Jordan to lose in a nail biter by one because then he would have been triply fired up to get to Augusta this week. So I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to stick with those two players, Jordan. And I like, I like that the, the throwback Cam Smith. I just like Cam Smith.
1: You know, I don't know enough about his game, to be honest. I, I don't watch it's, – it's funny because people don't believe me. I really really don't watch any golf. I mean, I know, obviously, that guy's playing some great golf. I still don't really know anything about him, but the guy keeps on playing good every single week, it seems. So, which yeah. shape does he hit it, you know? I, I, I,
0: I, do, I, I must probably know less about his game than you do other than he does <laughs> well and he finished, uh, he finished like top three, I think, in November. Um, I think he's a gamer, yeah, he's, he's a, as a gamer, yeah. he's, he's not afraid to compete, uh, which I like. If you go out there with
1: a blonde mustache every once in a while, I think you've yeah. got to be a, a gamer, because exactly. you just don't care what anyone thinks.
0: Exactly, that's what I like about him. Okay, Scott, quick fast finish questions, uh, this has been great, All thank right. you. So fast finish, I'm going to fire two options at you, you just tell me which one you go for, okay, uh, Jack or Tiger. Tiger. Open championship or the US Open?
1: Open. Walk or ride? Ride.
0: <laughs> You're such <laughs> an old geezer. Uh, <laughs> uh, would you rather be the best iron player or the best driver? Driver. Interesting. Uh, Lynxland or Parkland? Parkland. Jeez. Um, Annika Sörenstam or Mickey Wright? Annika. Pebble Beach or St Andrews? St Andrews. Ooh, you, 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 I, I, would have, I would have had you wrong on that one. Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Uh, Caddyshack. You got to go with that. Uh, uh, Rolling. I had to, I had to think about that. One. What's that? Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Beatles. Interesting. Uh, win a major championship or win the money list?
1: Major. I'm assuming that, I'm, but I'm assuming you also made a lot of money. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, goes, that If that, the delta is double, I'm taking the money list. But if, it's, uh, if you still had a pretty nice go.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're both high-grade problems to have to choose between. Um, And then I always have a bonus question that is slanted towards my guest. And so this question is, is right up your alley. Okay. Would you rather have um, a brand new current modern day 46 inch hot face driver, or would you rather have a 42 and a (laughs) half inch (laughs) X dynamic gold X 100 persimmon driver? Which one?
1: I mean, I hitting the ball far is just fun. I, I mean again, it is I I it's, it's just fun. fun. I mean, again, this is where I, I do think the historian crowd needs to to tap the brakes a little bit because it's just fun to watch the ball sail. And and I get it, it's all relative. And if everyone were hitting it shorter, it'd still be relative. The game is so hard. The game is so hard it's ridiculous. And we just yeah. need to make it easier. It would have a lot more buy-in from everyone and and I do just think that distance, accuracy, none of it's, none of it's too easy. I actually – but I want to clarify one thing. When you say yeah. driving versus irons, yeah, the reason I say that is – and, again, Mark Brody's correct in the math. The best players are the best strokes gained approach, guys. Yeah. Excuse me. But if you drive it well, it's pretty hard to mess it up from there. And, again, hand-in-hand hand with driving it well – you, you're typically going to be a pretty good iron player, yeah. but I am a pretty good player. Again, I get a hard time for this all the time, but I really, I'm not a, I'm not a member of the country club. I haven't really played golf in the last 10 years at all. And in my tournament rounds, which we're talking the us, mid-am, Texas amateur I'm talking actual real tournament golf. I'm a plus five handicap in the last two years. And I've only played about 20 rounds of golf. And I bring that up only because I drive it really, really well. And from there, it's just kind of hard to screw it up. Yeah. And so, I, you know, to the people at home, what I'll tell you is, is once you go to one shape with the driver, you're going to find you start hitting it, you know, not really straight. I hate saying that word, but you're going to find you start driving it really well, which is going to allow you to hit driver a whole lot more often and more confidently. And from there, it's just kind of hard to screw it up.
0: Mm, I agree. I agree. I, I, I totally get that. I'd take either. You know, I'd take either one. Well <laughs> um, I, 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 I totally get I get I get why you said driver and you get why I said you surprised me with that question. Um, yeah, well that's that the answer.
1: only reason I wanted to clarify that because yeah I, I don't want people to think that I'm valuing driver over irons. They're both important, but if you you know, again, I've got a player I'm gonna caddy for here. I hope he's not listening. I'm caddying for Zach Boshi with Victor Hovland. In uh, in New Orleans here in two weeks. Cool. And Zach's been struggling with the driver, and there's part of me I'm like, what are we getting into here? Because luckily it's a team event, so they, you know Victor's yeah. Victor's a decent player if you haven't noticed. He can cover us if we off can get the it all. Sure. Though we're gonna be fine, and it's just. Uh, but if somebody were like, well, I'm driving it really well. I'm just not hitting my irons great. I'd be like, eh, we'll get a, we'll get by with that. I'm not I'm not biggest, not too concerned, but. Yeah if you're not driving well man it's like oh man all right well how are we going to do this exactly then it's a great ben hogan quote that i think is one of the the ones that has stood the test of time is if you can't putt you can't score but if you can't drive you can't play and i really think that that's just an amazing amazingly accurate quote
0: yeah yeah i hear you and scott I want to say thank you. Thank you uh, for spending some time with us today, uh, for laying it on the line as you so often <laughs> do. Uh, I appreciate that. And, and also to say thanks for joining us over at Golf Fanatics. It's, uh, it's awesome to have your informa- access to um, the great information, common sense information that you share. And uh, I'm certainly here to encourage all of my students, all of you who happen to be watching and have tuned into this, um, to embrace it. No matter what your emotions say, no matter what your ego says, embrace some of these ideas, go out, commit to them and you'll play better golf. And that's, that's ultimately what it's all about. We had a good, good bit of fun. Hopefully you picked up a good couple of tips to help you play better. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to learning more from you, mate.
1: Uh, absolutely thank you and thanks for uh, for inviting me to be part of all this i really enjoy uh nerding out and i love helping people shoot lower scores so thank you thanks god take care you too